morning. If you turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, please. This morning we're going to be looking um, at a longer section of Scripture, chapter 8, verses 1 through 21. And um, as is tradition here, I will ask you a question before we start, and I hope it's not too much of a tradition that it stops losing its impact upon you or, or you stop thinking about what I'm saying, but I want you to stop and ask why you've gathered here today. Why are you here? For what reason have you come to this place today? I hope you haven't come here because you thought we'd put on a good show for you or we're real entertaining or we've got some great community to offer you or wonderful programs in the back or we've got all kinds of things. During the we don't have anything but one thing to offer you today. We want to present Christ to you. And I pray you're here because you want to be reminded that you need God to save you. And you want to see what he did to save you. That's all we're here to do, is to see how he saved us, what he's done to save us, and how we need that saving work. Do you understand that you need saving, and do you want to again have your eyes put on what God has done to save you? That's all we have today. That's not why you're here. If that's not what you're interested in, this is really a boring place to be today. So I, I, I hope, I pray that all of us would, would presently stop and say, okay, I, yes, I want to see what God has done to save me. I know I need saving. I want to see what he's done to save me. That's what we're going to set our eyes on today in the text. Again, our text is Luke chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 1 through 21, starting at verse 1. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chosa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathered, and people from town after town came to him. He said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, 
and their fruit does not mature. As for, those, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar and puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing's hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be, that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Let me pray for us. Father, it is true that unless by your great mercy you work in this room, there will be nothing accomplished today. It's true that if it's dependent upon speaker or hearer to have some great change take place in us, there will be nothing that occurs today. And so we do come before you, a needy people, confessing that need. I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and sisters now. Lord, would you by your great grace, use your word and work in us. And Father, by the power of the Spirit, change us through your word and make us a people who understand, who know, who see, and who hear. I pray in your name. Amen. In verse 8 in our text, Jesus cries out. And he cries out this. He who has ears to hear... Let him hear. I think it's ironic that we come to this text and we read this text and now I expand upon this text and the text is Jesus saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because the question that comes to my mind when I hear that And the question I want you to ask this morning is, can I hear? Can I hear? I mean, in a spiritual sense, are you able to see and hear what is spiritually being communicated to you in the Word of God? Are you able to spiritually understand what God says to you? Please stop and answer the question. Not out loud. Just think about it and answer it. Can you see and can you hear? This is one of those sermons, as I say at times, where actually what the sermon is about will happen as the sermon is given. Will you hear? Will you see? Not just hear words coming out of my mouth. You're all going to hear them, whether you pay attention to them or not, whether you understand them or not. But will you hear? Can you, has it been your experience, friends, in your life as you encounter Holy Scripture that you are able to hear? Answer the question. And pay attention to your answer. Because the truth is, you are all descendants of a people 
whose history is one of complete blindness and deafness to everything that God has ever said. It can't be denied that every one of us here belongs to a people who have from the very start done one thing consistently, closed our eyes and covered our ears to everything that God has said. Adam and Eve, of course, were the first to do this. Adam and Eve closed their eyes and ears to what God had shown them. And the world that you live in now is the result of the shutting of the eyes to what God reveals, friends. This world is a testimony to what happens when you turn away from the truth that God shows you of himself. But this is what we all do. As a people, this is what we are good at doing. God comes to us. He shows us pictures of himself. I would argue beautiful pictures of himself. And our response to those pictures is shut our eyes. Our reaction to what he shows us is not to welcome it and to see more of it and to want to hear it and rejoice. Our reaction when God shows himself to us, when he puts on display who he is to us, our reaction is disgust. And if you weren't so numb to that fact this morning, you would be able to see how very sad it is that this is what we do. If you weren't so numb to it, so used to it, you would see how sad it is that this is what we do. And the reason that it's sad is because it's an insult to God to do this. It's not just, it's not just foolish that we close our eyes and can't see what God shows us. It's immoral to shut our eyes to what God shows us. It's immoral. It's wicked. Listen, friends, it's wicked because it's not like we don't have the capacity to see and hear the truths that God puts before us. We do. We have the capacity. In fact, we were built for it. You were built for it. But we will not let ourselves see what God shows us. We don't want to see it. That's the problem because we hate what we see by nature as a people. We hate what we see when the truth of who God is is put before us. Can you see why that would be an insult? Before anything else, before you even see how it's possible that you do it, can you see it would be an insult that if God came and showed himself to you and you closed your eyes and walked away, do you see that, why that would be an insult? Let's say... Somebody in this room comes up to you after the service, takes out the phone and says, oh, I got some really cute pictures of my kids. Let me show you. And your response is, I could care less about the pictures of your kids. Is that an insult? Why is it an insult? What's it saying? The cuteness of your kids doesn't matter to me. It's irrelevant. It's boring. Well, let's say, let's say, a, a, a man who's going to be married to, to a woman, his fiance, he goes to his fiance and he says, I have, I, I have these pictures to give to you. Or the woman says to the man, I have these pictures to give to you. And the, and the, and the fiance looks and goes, oh, these are boring. Why would I want these? You know instantly that's an insult. I don't need to explain to you why that's an insult. Right? Because those pictures should be treasured and thought of as beautiful. And to say of them, I don't want them. They're boring to look at. That is an insult because it says you're boring. You're not worth my attention. So now tell me, 
How great an insult is it if God himself comes to us and says, I have pictures of myself I would like you to see. And our response is, I really don't care. In fact, how terrible would it be to find out you are the kind of creatures that by your very nature hate the pictures of God and his beauty that he presents to you and that you do everything possible to reject it and cover it up and blind yourself to it so you never have to see it. But you see, this is exactly our situation. Perhaps you can't yet see how you do it, but you must at least admit the fact that this is the natural human response. I mean, it's shocking if any of you can't see that this is what you tend to do. I've given this example a million times. If I came into this room and I said, we're going to spend 40 minutes talking about how everybody around you in your life loves you, you would be zoned in. You wouldn't miss a word. You'd be taking copious notes. If I came today and even, again, examples I've used before. I used to do this with kids in youth group. What's your favorite pizza topping? We could talk for 20 minutes about it. Everybody going on and on. Tell me something about, about God you like. Silence. You see, there is, in spiritual matters, a kind of veil, a deafness. It hap it's happening now. Now. By nature, this is all we are. By nature, you would suppress every truth about God that came to you. You would find it not just boring, but repulsive, and you would do everything you can to push it out of your mind and to not listen to it. We suppress the truth of who God is in every picture he puts before us of who he is. This is what the scriptures say is true of all humanity from birth. And so it, it must be the case that this morning we should be able to admit that if nothing else, whether we see how we do this or not, we come from a people who do this. We were born into a world of people who do this. Now, now remember, what am, I, what am I saying? What am I asking? I'm asking the question I started at the beginning was this. Jesus is crying out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And I'm asking you, do you have ears to hear? That's the question I've been asking from the start. I'm telling you, you're from a people who can't see and can't hear and don't want to see and don't want to hear. I'm saying to you, do you hear? Because you come from a people who by nature do not do so. You, are, you were born as a creature who did not do so. Now, if we want a very clear picture of this foolish blindness and deafness to God and what it looks like, we don't have to look very far in the scriptures. We can look at the history of Israel and consider their story to see an outline of what it looks like to be a people who deafen themselves and blind themselves to who God is. The Old Testament chronicles how the Jews were given picture after picture after picture after picture of who God is, and they refused to see it. Not only were the Jews given the same pictures that every one of you here has in general revelation of who God is, but the Jews were given special pictures of who God is. God showed them marvelous things, brothers and sisters. He gave them his law. He gave them his covenant. He gave them sights of miraculous deliverance that displayed who he was to them. But over and over again, the Jews, and just try to explain this, why they do this, over and over again, they shut their eyes to what God was showing them about himself. 
such that God ends up summing up his people in Ezekiel like this. He says this in Ezekiel. Son of man, you dwell, he says this to Ezekiel. Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see, but see not, and who have ears to hear, but hear not, for they are a rebellious house. That's God's constant judgment of his people all through the scriptures. It's a repeated theme, friends. And so in Jeremiah 5, he turns to his people and he says this, Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. It's over and over again. That's how he describes his people. Do you understand what God is saying to them? They have eyes to see. They have ears to hear, but they don't see and they don't hear because they have no desire to use those ears and those eyes to see the truth about God. What Israel's history proves is that humans, by nature, hate the truth about God so much that even if God goes out of his way to give them special, beautiful pictures of who and what he is, the response will be to blind themselves and deafen their ears. Now, that's the Jews. Do you think you're any better than them? Do you think you were born a little bit different than them? Or are you by nature just like them? One of the most shocking statements about the human condition that you can find in Scripture, I know oftentimes you think about the text that talks about the human condition, you might go to like Romans and, 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 and think about uh, chapter 3 and uh, no one does good, not, no, not one. But there's a, a better text to show you the absolute evil of the human heart. Turn to John 8. Let me show it to you. John 8. You want to see the absolute brokenness and wickedness of humanity? John 8. In John chapter 8, Jesus is, is explaining who he is to the crowds. Okay? John chapter 8, Jesus is explaining who he is to the crowds, and they don't get it. And Jesus is going to explain why they don't get it. And what he says is absolutely shocking. Why don't the crowds understand who Jesus is? Chapter 8, verse 45, Jesus says this. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying the cause of their unbelief. The cause, the reason why they don't believe is because he speaks the truth. D.A. Carson points out in his comment on this text that it would be bad enough if Jesus said, although I speak the truth, you don't believe. That's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say, although I speak the truth, you don't believe. He says, because I speak the truth, you do not believe. Which means that they are a people who by their very nature, when they encounter truth, can't hear it. Deaf. Jesus, why can't we understand what you're saying? Because I'm telling you the truth. You can't hear the truth. You're deaf to it. You're blind to it. What truth? Not all truth. Jesus isn't talking about math. The truth about who he is. 
That's the truth that humanity cannot get their minds around. Humans are by nature a people who cannot see and cannot hear the truth about God because they have no desire to see and hear the truth about God. It's in all of us by birth, and it happens to us our entire lives. It's happening now in people sitting next to you and in you. It's a deafness. They could... We won't talk about you. We'll talk about the person next to you. They could tune in in a second if the topic this morning was you name it. But when it's God, when it's law and gospel, there is this haze that fills the room. It's unbelievable. I could stand up here now and tell you stories and you you pay attention. I could... But when you go to the Word, the fog sets in. Now that's the story of humanity. That's the story of God's own people, the Jews. Jesus is standing before the Jews and he's saying this. You can't hear me because I'm telling you the truth. So let me ask you a question. What should God do in response to this? You're God. You go and reveal the truth to people. Truth that's for their good to help them. They deafen themselves and they blind themselves to it over and over and over again. What response do you have? I'll tell you how God responded to the Jews. Many years ago, back after he had shown himself to them over and over and over and over again, they closed their eyes over and over and over again. He finally came to the point where he had enough. And let me show you what he said to them. Turn to Isaiah 6. He finally came to the point where he had enough, and he said this in Isaiah 6. God decides in Isaiah 6 that he's going to do something about the people's lack of desire to hear him. In Isaiah 6, God calls Isaiah, says, Isaiah, I have a job for you. And look what he tells Isaiah he's going to do. This is the response to years and years of deafness to God. Chapter 6, verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Isaiah speaking, Here I am, send me. Now look what God says. He said to Isaiah, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Look what he tells Isaiah to do in verse 10. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So God finally has enough and in his judgment, his punishment for their refusal to see and hear the truth is going to come upon them. And what is the punishment? It was this, friends, to leave them in their blindness and deafness. In fact, he wouldn't just leave them in their blindness and deafness. He's going to appoint a man, Isaiah, who's going to go and, and have a ministry of preaching. And Isaiah's preaching is going to serve to do one thing. Everybody who hears his preaching is going to become more deaf. Why? So that they, these Jews won't even turn to God to save their own skin. In the midst of whatever comes, they're not going to turn to God. It's his judgment on them. That's what Isaiah's ministry is to be. His ministry is to go to preach to make the people more deaf. 
because that's what they deserve. And Isaiah hears this, and Isaiah asks, for how long, God? Look at verse 11. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lay waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. In other words, a long time, Isaiah. Certainly all your life. You should expect to see this judgment come upon the people and not to see an end of it. And brothers and sisters, this is fair. Why should God, why should God continue to give pictures of himself to a people who simply disbelieve those pictures or close their eyes to those pictures? Now let me ask that question again because you didn't hear it. Why should God continue to give pictures of himself to a people who disbelieve those pictures and close their eyes to them? Understand, that's the condition you were born into. Blindness, friends, deafness, spiritual moral inability to know God, not an inability because you didn't have eyes and ears, but because you had no desire to use those eyes and ears. You hated every sight of God that was put before you by nature. And, in, and just like in the case of the Jews, God was angry at that sin and the proper judgment upon you would be, give them no more pictures of me. In fact, only give them pictures of me. It'll help deafen and blind them. That would be a fair judgment to fall upon you. Get this. The sad reality is that you can still see the remnant of this blindness and deafness and resistance to seeing who God is in yourselves, even this morning. You, you, can, you can still see this resistance to God. I, I mentioned it a couple times already this morning. As I, I said, think about those around you or your own heart. There's a resistance that even remains today. Just reflect upon your walk with Christ. Even as believers with new hearts, new creations in church, even today, the resistance to seeing who God is remains in your flesh and it affects you. Because we could say this morning, surely you have been shown many things about God in your life. Yes? You have general revelation and you have had special revelation. Lots of it, many of you. Lots of it. And yet, in the face of God coming and making himself known to you, has that making known to you been met on your part with unbelief or apathy in closing your eyes? Has that ever happened? In other words, has God come to you and revealed the truth about himself to you and your response is, I don't think so. Just think about it. How often have you questioned God's revelation to you about what he is like? For instance, God has shown you he is good, has he not? And yet tell me, how many times in your life have you lived acting and thinking like God is not good? Or that his promises could not be trusted? Or that his plans were not beneficial? 
Or worse, as we discussed a few weeks ago, how many times has God come to you and given you pictures of himself and you didn't just not believe it, you were apathetic to it. You didn't even care that God would labor to bring you pictures of himself to you and you would be bored by those pictures that he presents to you. That you would, and we all know this is the case, you can pick up so many books and read them and be so attentive to the words on the books, but you bring up the scriptures and you read four verses in and your eyes are doing this. You were born blind to who God is. Born blind to the greatest beauty that exists. You were born hating any pictures of him that were put before you. You were born with a desire to suppress the truth about him. You are the kind of creatures that by your nature would rather blind yourself than to see the holiness of God. And you can still now see the remnants of that desire to not see God, of that blindness, of that resistance. You can still now see the remnants of it in how you so often question God and disbelieve God and are apathetic toward him and his revelation. And so what has God to do with you? Just consider the question, what should God do for you? What do you do if, if you're... If you, if you had someone you loved who sacrificed their life to save another, and then you went to this other and told them the story of how the one you loved gave their life for them, and they fell asleep during the story, wouldn't you want to smack them? Wouldn't you be insulted, offended? Wouldn't you be shocked at what you saw? What does God see as we hear the gospel presented to us over and over again? And what should be his response? His judgment in Isaiah is this. What you deserve is to have yourselves driven further and further into your blindness such that you go on forever, never seeing the beauty that he would put before you. Okay. Turn back to Luke 8, after that lengthy introduction. You see, now here's what we got to figure out in Luke 8. You heard all I just said. You got the point. Yes? Most of it. Because we're partially blind. But here's, here's what you got to figure out. God has told us what his judgment is. What, God, what did God say his judgment is in Isaiah? What's he going to do to the people? Make them more blind, make them more deaf. There would be a people, he said, they would be a people who forever see but not perceive and forever hear and not understand. But now here's what, gotta, here's what you got to make sense with this. You come to Luke 8 and you have Jesus walking around saying this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Wait a minute. And here we have Luke 8, 1, and look what we're told. You need to make sense of this to me. How's this happening? Luke 8, 1, soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, and what's he doing? Proclaiming 
and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. So Jesus is preaching. He's doing what Isaiah did. He's preaching. But look at what happens. Look what we're told next. And the 12 were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod's household manager. And Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. And this is, this is what should stun you. We're given a list of people, brothers and sisters, who are seemingly not blind and deaf to what Jesus is saying, but who seem to be in some sense getting it. They're not blind or deaf. First, we have the 12. And then incredibly, we have this mention of a group of women here in these first verses who are among, who are among Christ's disciples. There's a woman who had seven demons then there's a, the wife of Herod's household manager friends. These are not stellar examples of people you'd want as your disciples. First of all, they're women. I, I don't think we realize how radical Jesus' teaching on women really were when he gave them. It's, it's incredible to see people today talk about Christianity as that which demeans women. When, when Christianity shined as a bright light of women's rights in the midst of a culture that treated them as worthless. Because the rabbis would not have a woman as a disciple. Let alone these women. But Jesus does. These women, it seems, and they're supporting Jesus, by the way. They're financially supporting the ministry. And, and the twelve, they have reacted. They've responded to Jesus with some sort of understanding. How? How are they not blind and deaf? And now as a great crowd gathers around Jesus, he tells a parable to explain how and why this is the case. And here's what he says, verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and the people from town after town came to see him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell among the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now with this parable, guys, Jesus is explaining why it is that some people are able to hear what he's saying. Remember, He's saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But Jesus, I thought nobody has ears to hear. So what does this mean? And the explanation comes as Jesus explains this parable to his disciples who apparently have no idea what he's talking about. They come to him and they want to know what it means. And the first thing that Jesus says to them should really stop us in our tracks. It should stun us, friends, especially in light of everything we've considered so far. In light of what God said in judgment in Isaiah about his blind and deaf people and what they deserve. This should stun us because Jesus says this, verse 9. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now notice there in verse 10, that's Jesus quoting the Isaiah text we looked at. The prophecy of judgment that God said he gave to Isaiah. They will, they will see and not see. They will hear and not understand. This, Jesus is saying, is why he's speaking in parables. Jesus doesn't, listen, Jesus does not speak in parables to make everything perfectly clear to everyone. No, Jesus speaks in parables 
to continue to carry out the judgment that was given to Isaiah to carry out. But here's the thing you have to not skip over. Here's the amazing, wonderful, incredible thing to see in the text. The very first thing that Jesus said to the disciples is this. To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. (coughs) Excuse me, of God. (coughs) (coughs) To you, disciples, it has been granted. It's been given. It is a gift to know and to hear and to come to understand these things. Now, do you see what Christ is saying? And do you understand what he has done? So, yes, the just judgment is that all of us and all of those before Jesus be left in our blindness and deafness, but Christ will not have it. This is the only thing I can conclude. Listen, see if you can conclude this with me. We have the Isaiah text, we have this judgment, and then we have people here who are hearing and seeing. So the only thing I can come up with is this. Christ has decided he will not leave his bride blind to his beauty. He will not let her perish in the darkness. He will not let his bride go forward without hearing his sweet voice. He's going to step in and do something. And so to his bride, he calls. And the words that normally would just do nothing but harden hearts and make them blinder and and deafer, these words, when they fall upon the bride, they do something else. They become life itself. These words change us. We could say it like this. For those who are his bride, he shines with a light so bright that though we close our eyes, it shines right through our eyelids and right through our eyes and right to our heart and makes us new. And understand, it's just a gift. It's not earned. It's not something that you get because you were just smart enough to figure it out or you had, you had a, enough of an ability to open your eyes like other people couldn't. No, no, no. It's just a gift to his bride. And so, brothers and sisters, I have to stop and ask you this question yet again. Is it the case today that anybody in this room can see and can hear? Now, what do I mean by that? How, how do I know? How do I know if I'm somebody who can, who can see and hear? Specifically, I'm asking this. Have you come to understand that Christ is your Savior from your sins? And are you entrusting your soul to him to save you from those sins? That's the question. Listen to it again. Is there anybody in this room this morning? who says, I believe that Christ is the Savior from my sins and I'm entrusting myself to him to save me from those sins. If you answer yes to that, you need to celebrate today. If you say yes to that, you need to leave here with joy in your heart. If you say yes to that, you better stop and realize what's happened to you. Listen. There's only one goal for us this morning. Only one thing I want us to accomplish today in this room. That is that we would see that we are deserving to be left in our blindness and deafness. But Christ has come to us and given us sight. 
Remember I said at the beginning, why are you here? And I said, are you here because you want to remember the need that you had and how God met that need and saved you? The salvation he's provided for you is this. He opened your blind eyes, people. He opened your deaf ears. And so if you can sit here today and say, I know there's a savior from sin. I know he saves from sin. He doesn't save from sin by what I do. He doesn't save from sin by how good I can be. He just freely gives me salvation and forgiveness of sins. I believe that. I'm entrusting myself to him. You see that only because he opened your eyes. Now, if you hear that and you're, and you're, you're tempted to rejoice but still hesitant because you hear that and you go, yeah, but there's still so much blindness left here. And yeah, but you know what? I'm dumb enough that I probably shut my eyes again. If that's who you are, take heart. Because what our text is going to show us is that this work that he starts in the bridegroom to open your eyes, he continues and does more and more and more. He will complete it. So hear me, brothers and sisters, celebrate this truth today. He has not finished his work in you. We see now and we will see more than we ever have before. We will see and we will hear all the more. We will know him. He will make himself known to us. And before we see this in the text, I have to ask you, brothers and sisters, before we look at that promise in the text, I need to ask you, if you are someone this morning who says, yes, I know, I see, you need to just stop and say, who am I that I can see? Who am I? How can it be that I get to see? I shut my eyes just like everybody else. I'm still sitting here hearing about how God opened my eyes and my eyes aren't open all the way. How can it be that he would be this good to me to open my eyes and then look at me and say, I know you'd close them again, but I'm going to keep them open for you and bring you to a place where you see me forever. Who am I that this gift would be given to me? Oh, blessed are your eyes for they see and blessed are your ears for they hear. Now Jesus goes on to explain the parable and to explain exactly what it is that happened to us, brothers and sisters. Notice in the parable, let's look at it, starting in verse 11. I want you to notice this. <clears throat> it's a parable. Jesus explains and tells us this is a parable about how God's word, that's the seed, interacts with different kinds of soils. This is a parable about different soils, friends, and why some soil receives the seed but why most does not. And here's what he says, verse 11. <clears throat> now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. You were that. And the ones on the rock are those who when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root and believe it for a while in time of testing, fall away. You were that. As for what fell among thorns, they are those who hear, <clears throat> but as they go on their way, they're, they, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit doesn't mature. You were that. You would still be each of those things. You would all be one of those, one of those soils. So the gospel message goes forth, it falls on all the soils, 
And on most of it, it's met with blindness. It's met with nothing. It's the kind of soil you were by birth. But then we have another soil mentioned in verse 15. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. <clears throat> now, wait a minute. What kind of soil is this? And where did it come from? Look what's being said, brothers and sisters. This good soil, it has a heart. Do you see it has a heart? What kind of heart does it have? What kind? Honest and good. That describes you, right? That describes how you were born. Honest and good. You came out of the womb. Everybody, look, honest and good heart. You didn't have that from birth. You weren't born with that kind of heart. That, the, the emphasis here is honest, honest and good. It's actually two words that both mean good. It's like, it's like it's, he's saying a beautiful good, a good, good heart, Jesus is saying. He's emphasizing it. This is a good, good heart. Where'd that come from? This is the kind of heart that comes only by new birth, brothers and sisters. This is the kind of heart that comes only to those who are part of the new covenant people of God. And guess what, friends? You're among them. You are part of these people. Christ chose you and gave you this heart. And why did he choose you and give you this heart? So that you could see him forever. So that you could know him forever. And he is not done giving this sight of himself to you. As he goes on, there's two more parables he tells. Verse 16, he says this. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, <clears throat> but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Now, Jesus is simply explaining. He has not come. Sometimes we take this text and we think of it wrongly. We think it means that we're to be the lights to the world. Now, there are other texts that say that, but that's not the meaning here. What he's saying is, Jesus has come to make something known so that it's no longer hidden. He's this light that's shining, saying, I didn't come to hide it. I didn't light this light to put it on. I'm shining forth and making this known. And then don't miss what he says in verse 18. He tells you to notice how you hear. Take note of it. And then realize this. This is what's so incredible. To the one who has, more will be given. That's what he says. The one like you, friend, who has, who has been given sight, more will be given, he says. Do you see the promise here? Take hold of this promise, church, because we do not yet see the way we want to see, do we? We still doubt, and we still have apathy, and we still are distracted, but the promise is more sight will be given. And please understand, it's not a promise that more will be given to the one who works hard enough or is smart enough. No. It's a grace-filled promise that to those who God has granted sight to, he will give them more and more and more sight. One day he will return and you will see him as he is and you will be changed and you will know him fully. But then Jesus adds one more story to show the special privilege and importance of being able to hear his words. Verse 19. 
Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to, to see you. And he answered them, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now remember, and do it, what that means. We saw this earlier in Luke. It doesn't mean you perfectly keep the law. It means you hear it and believe it and give yourself to Christ. See, this is all that matters. You see, this is to be his family, closer to him than brother and mother, that you hear. Those who are able to hear are his family. So praise God, you who see Christ today as Savior. Praise him. You are his family, and you will be given more and more sight, and you will be granted a knowledge of him that you don't deserve. And this, of course, was always God's plan from the beginning. This was always God's plan. Go back to Isaiah 40. This was always God's plan. This isn't plan B. This is always what he intended to do for his bride. Back in Isaiah, after he made this announcement of this judgment of his people being blinded, in Isaiah 40, he announces this. As I struggle through the remnants of the flu last week, pardon me. Isaiah 40. He says this. Remember, these are his people who have closed their eyes to him over and over again. Verse 1. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become a level and the rough places plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Brothers and sisters, his word will go forth and it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. Isaiah 55 says, his word will go forth and it'll find our dead, lifeless hearts. And that word, when it hits our hearts, will make it good soil. Spring to life. And he will give you sight. Now he has done that for many of you today and you should sing and celebrate But if there are those who are here today who hear all this and go, I don't know if I see. I don't know if I hear. I hear all this. I'm not sure if I have any sight or any understanding. I don't know. I have to plead with you. Please come to Christ and say, Lord, make me good soil. Make me able to hear and see. Because anybody who cries that, he's not going to turn away from. In fact, I would argue, if you're crying that, it's evidence that he's already opened your eyes and given you sight. So come, church, come to Christ and say, Lord, make me good soil. And Lord, thank you that you've given me sight. Continue to give it to me. Father, who am I that you would do this for me? I should have been left in my blindness. But we realize how it is this has been granted to us, brothers and sisters. The Son, Jesus Christ, came and he took our place and he suffered the penalty of that eternal blindness for us. He took our place and on the cross was punished for the way that we closed our eyes to his beauty our whole lives. 
And by that work, he purchased the redemption that he gives to us today. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters and for myself that as we consider what you've done for us in opening our eyes, we would marvel that you would be so patient and so good and so gracious that you would give sight to a people like us. Father, continue to give that sight to us. Look at us and pity us this morning. We sit and read a text about how you gave sight to us when we were blind, and we do it barely able to see it. So, Lord, would you look upon those whom you have given sight to, and would you remember the promise you made to the one you've given, you will give more. And will you give more to us today, Father? And for those who have not yet seen, would you make the soil good today, Lord? Let them see you. Let them understand the love you have for them, that they do not need to leave this room unsure of where they stand with you. You are a God of goodness and grace and that you will pardon all their sins and they can leave here totally, completely at peace with you because of what you did on the cross for them. Give that sight to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we come to the supper, brothers and sisters, let us... As we come to the supper, let us remember what it is that Christ did and what he gave in order to make it so that we could have the sight we have, that we would have the life that we have. We come to the table and we remember the body of Christ broken and the blood of Christ spilled on our behalf. This table is open for every one of you who has turned from your sins, as imperfect as that turning is, and you're trusting in Christ and his work alone. You're calling out to him, give me sight, let me see, help me believe. If that's not who you are, this table is not open to you, we ask that you let the elements pass. But if you are believing today, if you are trusting yourself to Christ, would you please partake with great joy this morning as we remember the sacrifice made for us.